the little for the lot, the me for the us. God has spoken to us over the last weeks. There's just been, with all this trouble that's been going on, a really deep realization that, that we so often are about the me and about the little. When we should be about the, the us and the big. And that's why we as a church family believe that we are not just called to transform ourselves, not just called to allow God to transform our church or even our community, but in a sense, God has called us to be part of transforming our nation. And as we've gone through the God that we've had, the Lord's Prayer, over and over again, we've discovered this is not about me. It's not about ma. It's about us and God's whole kingdom. And since we're talking about a country, let me start with a story about a civil servant, a bad civil servant. A civil servant who had accumulated millions and millions in debt. And he owed it to the government that he served. And literally, it was, it was such a huge amount that he simply couldn't pay it back. And the person who ran the country, the king, decided it was time to, to sort things out. You know, he called the auditor general in and said, we need, to, we need to sort this out. And in the sorting out, he discovers that this one particular civil servant owes him this enormous amount of money. And so he calls him in. And he says to him, listen, do you recognize that you owe me this money? And since you do, you need to know that you have to pay it back. And in the society that was in, the way debts were paid in that society was that if somebody owed such a large amount of money and didn't have the ability to pay it back when they needed to, they would become the slave of the person that they owed the money to. Not just them, but their whole families. And all their assets would go to, to that person, and for, for a period of time, they would become a slave until they paid back the whole debt. This person begged his boss, begged the king, said, please, I can't pay you back. But if you give me time, you know, give me time, and, and eventually I will pay you back. Don't send me to jail. Don't make my family your slaves. The king said to him, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm, not, I'm not going to expect you to pay back. I'm not going to put you in jail. I'm not going to extend your payments for another 300 years. I'm going to forgive your debt. Gone. The guy leaves. <laughs> Can you imagine what he felt like? On his way out, he finds somebody else, another civil servant, who owes him a small amount of money. And he says to him, hey, listen, you owe me money, pay me back. And the guy says to him, please, please, I, I, I can't. Just give me time, eventually I will pay you back. The civil servant said, no, no. And he, and he got the jailers, he called in the police, 
He called in SARS, they came, they arrested the guy, they threw him and his family in jail, and they had to start working on paying off the debt. The story continues, and we discover that other civil servants that worked for the same king saw what happened. And quite naturally, they were furious. They then go to the king, and they say to the king, king, look what happened, look what happened. And the king says, bring that man to me, bring that that civil servant to me right now. And they bring him in, and the king says, well, here's the thing. In my kingdom, there's a thing called justice. And now you are going to pay back every last penny. And the story ends with Jesus telling his disciples, guys, that's how the kingdom of God works. This is a story that's found in Matthew 18. And it, it, the story starts where Peter goes to Jesus and says, when I forgive somebody, must I forgive them seven times? Because he thought he's being really, you know, whoa. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven. And then he goes on to tell the story that shows that forgiveness isn't only an event. Isn't that true? We want forgiveness to be an event, don't we? We want to be able to say, I'm sorry. The person says, that's fine, you're forgiven. Done. Walk away. Now, in the, in, in the spiritual sense, in terms of our being part of the kingdom of God, the forgiveness that Jesus gives to us in order to become his children and to live eternally with him is an event. But it's also a never-ending event. And so we come to, to some, some pieces of our kingdom building, some pieces of this transformation journey that we are on, that we cannot ignore as we ask God to transform our country, our church, our community, and us. Here's the big takeaways from that story that I just told you. If you want to find it, it's in Matthew chapter 18. Here's, here's the first one. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. It tells us that God's kingdom isn't just about me. It's about us. It is a kingdom, and it involves all of us. And when God says he wants peace and joy and righteousness and justice and holiness and goodness, he's not just talking about me. He's talking about us. He's talking about this world. He's talking about all his children. And the truth is there are times when, when God says, now I need to settle some accounts with you. It's why we are told that we must go back and ask for forgiveness from time to time. We must confess our sins. Not because we haven't been forgiven. We have, but because God needs to have this kingdom of his be a place for everybody to experience love and justice and joy and peace. The second big thing out of that story is in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
Now, if you read the story, and please do, you will discover that this debt was massive. In, in, ter in our terms today, it would be tens of millions of rands. It would be several tenders worth. It would be huge. And what does the master do? He forgives. But somebody still has to pay the money. I mean, the money is still gone. The master doesn't have it anymore. The person hasn't paid it back. And he, as he forgives him, the master saying, I'm going to carry your debt for you. I, I, this debt doesn't disappear. I'm now going to carry it for you. The third big thing. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Yo. So now this is afterwards when the master's discovered that uh, this guy didn't pay or, or uh, was unmerciful on the other guy. And there's heavy words there, eh? I, I mean, the, the word torture is used. Now, now, it's not literal. They didn't torture the man. What they did was they applied all the laws to him, which were hard. He, he, he became a slave, essentially. But I think Jesus chooses that word on purpose because he wants to, us to understand the gravity of the situation. He wants us to understand how important it is to God that forgiveness isn't just something you and I get because Jesus died on the cross, but it is something that we have to live. It's, it's, it's something we have to be in our essence. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers, your brother or sister from the heart. You, I mean, it's heavy, eh? Uh, this passage honestly makes me feel uncomfortable because I know that I've received forgiveness from God. I know that I've received unconditional forgiveness from God. But I also now, as I read this, understand how important forgiveness in the bigger sense is to God. Not just for you and him or for me and him, but for the whole of society for the whole world that you and I live in. We discover from this passage. You see, Peter was trying to negotiate. And don't we always want to negotiate forgiveness? He's like, how many times must I forgive? And, and Jesus is trying to help him understand that forgiveness isn't something we calculate. It's a way we live. Forgiveness isn't... Yeah, but God, you, you, you know what that person did to me, eh? And you know how many times they did it. And, and isn't it true? So often we're looking for excuses not to forgive. Where Jesus is saying, guys, if we can't get our heads around this forgiveness journey, we can't really live out God's kingdom. Essentially what this passage is saying, there is no transformation without forgiveness. There is no transformation without forgiveness. We've talked about 
the transformation of the kingdom of God coming in our hearts, coming in our church, coming in our community, and now even coming in our country, we have to understand without forgiveness, there is no transformation. There is no righteousness, peace, and joy. You can't experience righteousness, peace, and joy if you can't experience forgiveness. This is true. God has told us that. There is no justice without forgiveness. There is no justice. God is fanatical about justice. Not just individual justice, but, well, he's fanatical about his kingdom. And his kingdom is a just kingdom. And one of the essences of justice is that forgiveness can be achieved, and sometimes it's bought. You pay the price and you get forgiven, but sometimes it's given freely. But however it happens, you can't have justice without forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there is no kingdom come, no your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Without forgiveness, there's none of that. Now we understand that God's kingdom on this earth is not a perfect place. That perfection only happens in the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus comes, returns again. But in the meantime, you and I are called to live out as ambassadors of that kingdom. You and I are called to live as like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as we possibly can. And the beauty of that is that sometimes when we do that, God actually uses that to to actually change society, to make more justice happen, to make more righteousness happen, right here on earth as it is in heaven. As we live as ambassadors, God's kingdom begins to come. Let me remind you of our roadmap. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't forgiveness beautiful? Isn't forgiveness beautiful? As I was preparing this message, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a pastor in the States. And many years ago, he had to leave the church he was a pastor at because he was involved in an affair. And he had to leave that ministry. But his wife forgave him. And they spent many years rebuilding their lives. And he's now a pastor in another church. And and God has done amazing things. But he writes the story about the moment when somebody in the previous church died. And he had to go back and be part of that funeral service. And how terrified he was and, and, and how he didn't want to face anybody. 
but how he discovered as he stood afterwards with his wife, because his wife made him go. And how one person after another came and hugged him and told him they loved him. You see, he'd been living with this burden of guilt. He knew that he'd done things that had damaged everybody in that church's lives. But he experienced in that moment a release from guilt. I mean, he knew he'd been spiritually forgiven. He knew that. But here were these people that he'd hurt because of stuff he'd done. And here they were coming up to him. Isn't it just so lacquer? when guilt is taken off you. Imagine you go to the bank tomorrow and the bank manager says to you, you know that overdraft? Canceled. Your bond? Gone. You don't owe us any more on your car. Somebody pay, came in here and paid all your debts. Uh, just think about that for a second. That's what forgiveness does. It, it takes the burden off you. But it does much more than that. It restores relationships. One of my joys as a pastor is to help people navigate the restoration of relationships. And just like that pastor friend of mine, I've often discovered that when a huge offense is committed in a relationship and forgiveness is given and accepted and worked through, that often that relationship is better after that process than it was before. To see the restoration of relationships. I have the privilege sometimes of being with people at their deathbeds when family members come and are reconciled to that person, and it is unbelievably beautiful. But you see, it's not just beautiful because guilt has gone, because restoration of relationships happens, but also often it's, it's beautiful because the damage that was done is fixed. Restitution happens. Forgiveness is amazing. I love it. Especially when I get it. But this passage tells us something so important. Listen to what the message has to say about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. You see, it, it takes us back to this idea that forgiveness isn't only an event. It is an event, but it isn't only that. It's a way of living. In truth is that there is a never-ending of journey of forgiveness that all of us will be on and should be on until God's kingdom comes in perfection one day. But between now and then, we will be on a never-ending journey of forgiveness. And this is how that journey works. Let me, a debt is incurred. Now, you can use this word sin or debt, whichever one helps you here. They have the same meaning in this passage. A debt is incurred. A sin is committed. 
Then the debt is discovered. Now, isn't that true? We all want to hide our debts. We all want to hide our sins. We, we want to. But because we live in God's kingdom, eventually our sins are discovered. They always are. Sadly, sometimes those sins are only discovered later generations, and then it makes unpacking really complicated, but that's, we'll get there. But debts are always discovered. Why? Because the king takes account. The king from time to time assesses his kingdom and says there's some debts that have to be repaid. Once that debt is discovered, then somehow the payment of that debt has to take place. You see, God is a God of justice. And fundamental to who God is is that there is a price to be paid, always, for all sin. You see, if God just let us off, he wouldn't be just. If God just said, ah, no, as one of my theological professors used to say, Buddha will wink, but Buddha will not be pleased. God is not like that, because he's a God of justice, he doesn't wink. And so somewhere that price has to be paid. In that story we read, the king paid the price. He absorbed the debt. Every sin, every debt, always, always, always has a price attached, and that price has to be paid. Now, the, the, the greatest news, the best news, is that the price for all our sin has been paid. Jesus paid it. And, and he paid the spiritual price for every single sin of every single person in the whole world, and we can receive forgiveness. But the truth is, there isn't just a physical, uh, a spiritual price to debt. There is a physical price as well. And that's why we see the brokenness in the world around us. Because even though those sins are forgiven and can be forgiven and, and God has made a way, the consequences of those sins continue in, in the world we live in, in our hearts and minds, in a physical sense. And so Jesus is telling us in the story and in this prayer that you and I take this forgiveness, and we should. And it's good, and it's right. But the hard part is giving it. I, mean, I want you to think about when you are forgiven. I want you to think about the, the emotions that are attached with you being forgiven. They're all positive. They're all positive. This is amazing, thank you, for forgi thank you for lifting the guilt off me. Oh, you are so great, thank you so much for your forgiveness. It's, in terms of receiving forgiveness, I can't think of any negative emotions that should be attached to that. But what happens when we are asked to forgive? You know, we go from, oh, I'll take all the forgiveness you will give me. God, thank you that you've forgiven every single sin. Okay, now let's talk about that person who sinned against you. Your but. No, 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 no. You don't understand, God. I mean, that's been going on forever with that person. 
It's just... Preparing this sermon has been such a privilege for me. I honestly have never grappled with this idea of forgiveness as much as I have while I've grappled with this sermon. It's, I, I've been forgiven of my sins since I was seven years old. But I've never understood how profound and deep and necessary the ongoing forgiveness is, not just for me, but for all of us. And so this is the hard thing that Jesus says to us. In this journey of transformation, are you prepared to bring the same set of attitudes to forgiving others as you are to receiving forgiveness? You see, in God's kingdom there is justice and righteousness, but there's also sacrifice and sacrificial love. And the hard part of this journey Jesus is telling us, he's telling Peter when he tells him that story and he's telling the Pharisees, guys, are you prepared to give forgiveness as readily and as joyfully and as easily as you take forgiveness? And the reason we aren't is because of that price. It's because of that price that all debt and all sin carries. And when we forgive somebody, we are being asked by God to carry that debt. It's hard, but oh, it's a worthwhile journey. Oh, it's such a worthwhile journey because, because listen, do you see what forgiveness does? Righteousness, peace, joy, restoration. So now if you think that's hard, I want to present you with something even harder. I want to present you with something even harder. You see, all my life, as I've prayed this prayer, when I get to this part, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us, I've never thought of it collectively. I mean, I've said the collective words, but I've always only thought about it in my life. Essentially, I'm saying forgive us our sins, but I'm saying forgive me my But you see, God is calling us to more than that because we're citizens of his kingdom. He's calling us, as we've seen again and again and again in the Lord's Prayer, that this isn't just about me and God. It's about me and God and all of God's children. And so here we get into this really hard thing of a collective sin and a collective responsibility. And honestly, I wish I had it all sorted. I wanted to come with the formula today, but I haven't got that. But I have got a few things. I have got a few questions. You see, it's hard for us to take responsibility for our sin, it's hard enough. But what do we do when we take responsibility for other people's sins? And the truth is, God's children have a history of doing that. If you look in the Old Testament, time and again, you will see people confessing the nation of Israel's sins when they haven't taken part in that sin. Nehemiah is a great example. Good guy. Daniel, great example. But they don't go, hey, Lord, I want to pray this prayer, but it's not me, it's them. No, God, it's us. And even though I didn't sin here, 
I'm still willing to pay some of the cost for whatever forgiveness needs to happen here. And so I want to ask you, as you pray, forgive us. I want you to ask yourself, who is the us? I'm not going to tell you who the us is. Because each of us ends up having a different us. I mean, I have an us, us, this church. And I know some of the sins we as a church collectively are guilty of. Pride is one of them. But what about the us of me being a white South African who lived through apartheid? Now, I know we don't want to go there because it sounds political, but it's us. I was part of that us. And every single one of us is part of an us. And we have to forgive them. And they have to forgive us. And we each need to be willing to go on that journey. You see, because sometimes the cost of sin is not something that an individual can or should carry. Sometimes it can only be carried by a whole group of people. Apartheid was a sin. And that sin can't be carried by one individual. It has to be carried by the whole of society. Pornography is a sin that that involves our whole society. And and, and, and I, I wish I could just say, no, well, I don't do that, so somebody else must take it. But the truth is, I live with the consequences of it. Through children, through... And, and somehow I have to be part of the forgiving and, and I'm, I'm not sure how. What about the sin of greed? We know we live in a society where greed is a real sin. But we always want to make it somebody else's greed. Eh? What about slavery? What about racism? What about war? All of those things that we all In our minds, we know that's a sin. It's not a good thing. But it's not about me. Well, the truth is, it is about me. Because I'm part of society. And I've got to go on a journey as an individual and as a group to say, how do I grapple with this? Who Who do I need to talk to about about somehow processing that sin. And it's hard. That's why I love this, the justice journey. Because, because it does, it goes to that, that sin of racism in our, in, our, in our society. And it makes me have conversations. And I discover that, that I was part of something. I never did it. But I was part of something that, that created immense hurt in other people's hearts. And part of me wants to go, I don't want to hear it because I wasn't there. But we were there. I love being able to go and ask forgiveness for somebody when they're not expecting it. That's one of the funnest parts of this journey. When, when I go to somebody who I, in my mind, have come to understand, I sinned against you as a collective, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And people go, what are you talking about? Well, you see, I'm part of God's people. I'm part of God's family, and in God's family, 
we don't just reserve forgiveness for ourselves. Because our boss, our king, said to us, true forgiveness isn't just something you take from me when I offer it to you. It's something you give to other people in the same way I have forgiven you. You see, because God loves justice, he loves righteousness, he loves peace, he loves mercy, not just in the lives of individuals, but in the lives of whole societies. Perhaps the first part of your journey is to, is to ask God, God, for me, what, have, what are the collective sins I, I, I honestly am part of? And, and who can I go and perhaps confess that sin? And perhaps begin a conversation of rebuilding. We can't rebuild our country, but you and I, we can rebuild our relationship. Because our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing day.